Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Uh, well, good morning again. Uh, we are in the second week of our series, Naysayers. If you missed uh, last week, I uh, encourage you to go back and, and, and check that out. What we looked at last week were some of the foundations uh, that we can have for our faith, uh, not just from a biblical perspective, obviously, but even as we look at science and history, how you can really have confidence uh, in your faith. In fact, uh, we looked at what naysayers might say is that faith is fantasy. And I'm going to be continuing uh, as we go through that series a little bit uh, along that line, but I decided uh, really to take a bit of a detour today. And it has to do with some conversations uh, that I've been having over the last days and weeks and months with people. As people have uh, struggled, in a sense, to see that, that change that God promises in the Scripture uh, evident in their own life. In fact, uh, we really uh, see that. Chris Farley, uh, in fact, you remember him from Saturday Night Live, right? Uh, you remember him? He was a famous character, Matt Foley. And where did Matt Foley live? Come on, say it again. In a van down by the river. And some of you uh, don't know that, and you are just not cultured or well-educated. Uh, we know that about you. Uh, well, Chris Farley, you think about him, okay, comic, funny man, obviously died at a young age from a drug overdose, and a lot of things were sort of messed up in his life. He had, uh, you know, drug and sexual addictions. But uh, you may not know this uh, about him, is if you would have talked to him, he would have said that he was definitely a Christian. And he might say, well, okay, come on, you know, he may have said he was a Christian, he went to church every week, not just like every once in a while, every week like never missing out of town, going to church, had a spiritual mentor, went to a Bible study, would pray every day uh, in uh, part of a 12-step group. And in fact, in many ways, you'd say, wow, it seemed like he was trying to, to do the stuff. But he would have said that the life he wanted in Jesus seemed elusive for him. Now, he, he never gave up, but he, he also had this sense of desperation, in a sense, of trying to get there. And I know that I've talked to people, even this week, who that's their story. And you might be here and say, that uh, has been my story or is my story right now. And I want you to know that as you look at God's plan for you, God is not taken by surprise. In fact, if we look at the book of Romans in the New Testament, which many people would say is the theology book of the New Testament, uh, it was, I wouldn't say it was written by the Apostle Paul, actually in, in, in Romans uh, 16.22, we know it was written by a man named Tertius. It was a lecture the Apostle Paul gave because he couldn't get to Rome and he wanted them to know, hey, this is what you need to believe and this is how God works in your life. So Tertius wrote this down, and in the middle of this book that tells us all about right belief about God, 
Paul shares his personal struggle. In fact, we looked at this not too long ago, but from a different perspective, more from a uh, cosmic spiritual understanding. Today, I want to look at this from a very, in a very personal sense as we look again at Romans chapter 8. Uh, but before we get there, we get to Paul's struggle. And in the midst of this theology book, it's almost a rant where he says, the things I want to do, I, I never can really seem to pull off. And there's this struggle that I not only see in the Bible, I see it all the time. And maybe if we look close enough, we can see it in our own lives. The Apostle Paul, he says this uh, in Romans 7, 24. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will set me free from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And I think the real big deal there is the who. And we're going to look at that. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I think many of us have, and, and maybe you're walking through it right now. I've talked to people this weekend. That's their story. Sorry, I've shared this before. When my kids were little, we, uh, we lived near a Chuck E. Cheese. You know what a Chuck E. Cheese is, right? In fact, some of you are like, ah, I don't even believe in hell. Go visit a Chuck E. Cheese. You will. Uh, so, uh, believe it or not, hell is worse than Chuck E. Cheese, which is hard to believe. That, but uh, Chuck E. Cheese, yeah, it's... If you've never been there, it's like a casino for children is what it is, uh, with a seven-foot rat walking around. And uh, I'm not, no, I'm literally, that's what this thing is. You like, you win 2,000 tickets and you get a whistle or something like that. Uh, and so when you're at this casino for children, uh, besides bad pizza and all these other things they have, uh, the worst game there is, of course, whack-a-mole. Uh, whack-a-mole, if you've ever played it, it's, it's, you, you, the moles pop up and you whack them down and you, you try to get all the moles. But the problem is, is no matter how fast you go, no matter how hard you play, there's always another one. And it's a game that you can never win no matter how hard you try. And sometimes uh, life feels like that. So I just want to say that the day before the band comes back up and we pray. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to leave you there. But a lot of times we feel like we've been left there. And uh, why? And I'm not talking just to those of you who have not made a decision for Christ. In fact, I'm primarily talking to those of you who would say, I am a Christ follower. And I think there's some things that happen, actually weapons of self-destruction that keep us from the promise of God. I want to look at, at some of those. There's probably more. Uh, but these are some of the ones that uh, I felt were most prevalent. Is One is just shame. Uh, shame can be a well, weapon of self-destruction. Shame is different than guilt. Guilt is one of those things that you feel if you've done something wrong. If you feel no guilt, that's called being a sociopath. You don't want to have no guilt. Uh, guilt is actually that, that moral compass that God's put in you, whether you're a Christ follower or not. And there's, guilt says, I did a bad thing. Shame says, I am bad and irredeemable. They're very different. Shame, we, we attach not only guilt but this idea that we're unredeemable. In fact, I believe it's a lie of the, uh, from the evil one. And then there's also fatalistic self-talk. It's that sort of that voice in our head, that inner Eeyore that says, uh, you're never going to make it. And then we have some outer Eeyores who will confirm that voice. And we feel like things are never going to get better. It's just the way I am. It's just the way I'm wired. And, and what, where, what am I talking about? Yeah, it could be uh, an addiction, drugs, alcohol, sexual addiction. It can just be uh, maybe pride or, or anger or, or this pessimism about life. See, it often comes from compulsions. 
these compulsions where we feel like we're out of control, like we just have to do this thing. It's just who we are. And then there's bitterness. Bitterness is a big weapon of self-destruction. When we think of so, have any of you ever had anyone do something bad to you in your life? Any, anyone ever, anything once in your life? Any of that happened? Go ahead and raise your hands. Okay. Now I want to see, have you ever done anything bad to someone else in your life? Go ahead. I want to just see who the liars are. Keep your hands down. The, uh, yeah, here, here's the deal, is we're quick to say, this is where I've been hurt, but here's where we're slow to say, you know, I've done the same thing. We want grace for us and judgment for everyone else, right? And what happens is we get a root of bitterness because we're applying something, one that's simply not fair, and it's certainly got not God's plan. But grace is, is bigger than bitterness if we'll let it. Bitterness is one of those things that, and I understand, people who are bitter, it's not they don't usually just wake up bitter. Something bad happened to them. But they choose to live in that, and you can keep at bay all of God's promises and blessings, or many of them, if you live in that bitterness. And some of you, you're, you're literally making a decision, if you're honest today, what kind of life with God you're going to have. And then there's insecurity. Insecurity makes us do stupid things and say stupid things. Just think of junior high. That's sort of the age of insecurity. Well, is there a different way to live? The Apostle Paul, he, we read how he got to this place that was so deeply dark in his soul. But then in Romans 8, it takes a different turn. In fact, our key verse is this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. 20 times in Romans chapter 8, it talks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's presence here on earth. And uh, it's not this spooky, mystical thing. It's something that it's hard for us to understand because just as there's uh, physical laws, there's spiritual laws. And part of that is God works through His Holy Spirit here on earth. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we begin to see the promise of God that can feel elusive, and that's God-led change. And so what, it, what I want to say for those of us, maybe you're doing real well in life right now. You're saying, hey, you know, I, I've worked through every issue in my life. If you have, man, I want to I meet you. But also, maybe you might be here and say, no, I know there are some areas and I've almost given up. And I've talked to too many of you who feel that way. There is God-led change. It may not be quick and it may not be easy. But we see that laid out in the book of Romans. And really, this is the Apostle Paul. He's not just telling us about God. He's telling us his story, how God worked in, in his life. In fact, when Paul talks about uh, the struggle and the sin and the compulsion he dealt with, he didn't name what it was. And I think that's a good thing because otherwise we'd say, oh, that was for that, but not for me. Well, uh, how do we lean into God-led change? One is to remember the gospel. The gospel is really how God views us through grace. In fact, I have a, a tool that might be helpful to you. If, if you look at uh, how God views you, this scale, uh, total disgust, total acceptance, one to ten, where would you put yourself on the scale? I think most of us would say, well, you know, I'm about a seven or an eight. 
Here's what the Bible says quite clearly is that if you've said yes to Jesus, it's a 10. It just goes to a 10. Well, how can that be? Uh, here's, look what our scripture says, uh, Romans 8, 1 through 2. It says, there is therefore now no uh, condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And here's what I want you to do if you're taking notes. I want you to circle uh, now, I want you to circle no, and I want you to circle in Christ Jesus. Because this tells you how God's grace works. Now is uh, that God's grace, God's forgiveness is immediate. And I know we have people from all sorts of cultures and backgrounds, both Christian and non-Christian, and many of those backgrounds are, hey, if I work hard enough, God will love me and forgive me. And uh, maybe even from uh, within the Christian family, the idea of penance, if, I, if I'm penitent enough, if I do an act of penance, God will forgive me. And I get the concept behind that. The concept is, hey, I, I want to know, I want people to know that I really mean it. Uh, penance is, though it's not, not a biblical term, not, you don't even find it really anywhere in the Scripture at all, because it's more about what God did on our behalf. And no, uh, that second word, it tells us that God's forgiveness is complete, that we don't need to add to it, that the work is done through Jesus. And in Christ tells us that it's positional, that if I am in Christ, then God's work through the gospel that I'm, I'm living in grace is true of me. And here, here's why this is important, is when we receive this, you will live differently. You'll, you'll have less fear, probably less anger. Otherwise, what will happen is we'll try to make it okay or we'll self-sabotage. Uh, I pastored in Kingman, Arizona uh, for a while. If you don't know where Kingman is, don't worry, and please don't go there. No, the, uh, it's a little town between Vegas and Phoenix where people stop to go to the bathroom on their way to gamble or to get sun. Literally, that's sort of what the, why the whole town exists. And uh, I was there for a few years, pastor at a church. There was a young lady in the church, early 20s. She was uh, smart, funny, intelligent, had just had everything, you know, athletic, just really a lot on the ball. And I, as I saw her live her life, I saw her, she would always, she'd date these guys, and she would always pick guys who would be trouble and would treat her bad. And I, I saw this play out over a, a period of years, and I was thinking, I mean, in Kingman, if you are a, a young lady with a lot on the ball, there are a lot of suitors, and she always would just gravitate towards the worst ones. And I was thinking about this, I knew a little bit about her past. And she, she had made some, you know, pretty big mistakes in her past. And my guess is what was happening subconsciously is she thought, I don't deserve better than this. This is sort of who I am and what I deserve. See, if you don't hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to God's grace, you'll step in to self-defeating behavior. And by the way, we've had, uh, you know, a lot more single people attend here than I uh, have in years past. And if you're dating people who treat you bad, you, you don't need to date them anymore. You can break, I'm sure a hundred relationships ended this weekend. You can just say, Pastor Ben said, it's over. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> so, the, you, you deserve better. It says that we're sons 
and daughters of the King of Kings. And it's, see, it's not because of what you bring to the table, it's because of who you are in Christ Jesus. Stop trying to pay the price that Jesus paid. It doesn't help God out. In fact, God's probably saying, why in the world are you doing that? And part of this is just taking back control. It, this is where we, we mix faiths and worldviews. Uh, some of us who are raised uh, with, by, from Eastern religions are buying the whole karma thing, or, or uh, even in Islam, there's a sense of kismet or fate. The idea is, hey, things are going to happen that happen, and I don't have a lot of control. That's not, a, that's not a Christian concept. That's the opposite of what you find in the Bible, is that God made the choice to love us, and then we can choose. We have real choice uh, in our life. It's sort of, sort of like this. My wife and I were going to the gym. Uh, yesterday, we were on our way to the gym, and we were uh, talking about uh, the family reunion that's coming up. So uh, we're going to a family reunion. You know it's her side of the family because uh, we don't call our get-togethers family reunions. We call them arraignments. That's when my family gets together. And uh, yeah, that's, that's not even a joke. So, uh, but, but, uh, so we're going to her side of the family, family reunion. It's in Montana. It's, it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, hopefully a great deal there. We're going to drive there. Now, we have not taken a driving vacation for years. So it's, it's about a nine-hour drive with stops. It'll take us about four, three, three or four days. We'll make it there. And so, uh, so you can pray for me. But, uh, uh, you know, it's sort of funny as we think about that. We would play games uh, when the kids were little, you know, pick a car, you know, color car, something like that. One of the games, uh, uh, have you ever played the game Would You Rather? You know what I'm saying? Okay, so I'm going someplace with this, so play along with me. In fact, if you're here with someone, I, I want you to play this. I'm going to give you a few things. Uh, would, would you rather, so would you rather find a million dollars or find true love? If you're here with someone, go ahead and turn to them. Uh, if you're married, answer that carefully. Uh, okay, here's another one. Would you rather have legs as long as fingers or fingers as long as legs? It's just weird, isn't it? <laughs> Would you rather win a million dollars or have your best friend win $10 million? I don't know if I have friends that close. I don't know. <laughs> and then uh, here's another one. Try this one out. Uh, Would you rather have sandpaper as toilet paper or hot sauce as eye drops? <laughs> I think that's an easy one. Yeah, it, it sort of, okay, so, so what, what am I getting at? You know that through games, we teach kids something, don't we? And what are we usually teaching them? We're teaching them is that you have a choice. And would you rather is never a bad choice and a good choice. It's usually two good choices or two bad choices. See, oftentimes, the real would you rather in life we play is would you rather work out a difficult marriage and there's no intimacy there or feel alone and, and just not know what to do. See, those are hard would-you-rathers. But God, in the midst of that, He will take those difficult choices and He brings His redemption to it. So, see, we have this choice. The Apostle Paul, he talks about it in terms of 
spiritual battle. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And then he, he says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh. Or he'll say, we have no obligation to the flesh to live according to it. Is that we get to choose. And I think, we, here's a cool thing, is when we own that, we're owning the path to the promise that God has where He says, you know, you, I want you to have life and have it abundantly. And here's, here's a third aspect of this, and I'm going to camp here, uh, because I, I think this is actually significant, although counterintuitive in some ways, is to claim your place in God's family. Now, I'm not talking about first-time salvation, although that's, that's important. If, you're, if you say, hey, I've never decided to be part of God's family, well, that's a decision that we make. But I'm talking about really living in relationship with God and God's people. I, I get pushed back from people, and that's fine. You can, you know, you can think differently. Uh, but people, well, you know, I don't have to be uh, part of a church to be a Christian. That's true, by the way. I just, I, I pastored churches, a lot of them larger churches. I've just never met a mature Christian who's not part of a Christian family. In terms, of, and, and not not just your nuclear family, in fact, your church family. Uh, and so I think there's uh, something important in that, that we're part of the universal church, but also we're in relationship with other people, and that's where we experience that acceptance and that peace. Or here's what will happen is we even do that. I see people, you know, walk into church, oh, no one's going to, no one's going to say hi to me. We have this look on our face and wondering why people don't talk to us. You know, seriously, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I, I don't say this to be mean. I say this because could it be that your actions are keeping you from what you really want most in life? Love, acceptance, forgiveness, and transformation. I've learned that when we come with open arms, and don't worry, you know, oh, people judge me. No one's, actually, they're, they're thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about you. And so, no, how about if you just worry about, uh, God, what do you want me to do? Uh, it, again and again in the Scripture, uh, we see, it says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the most intimate term for relationship with God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so, I know that it's easier to go through life alone, especially if you have a habit, a hang-up, or addiction that you're not proud of. Especially if you want to keep life a secret and put on airs. But I'm just talking about do you want the life that it talks about in the Scripture, that happens in the context of knowing that because of who I am in Jesus, I'm part of the family. It's uh, like, you know, we, when you go over to a family member's house, you have refrigerator rights. You get to go in and grab, because you just say, hey, I'm part of the family. And I believe it's important for every Christ follower to be part of a church family. 
and, and so, yeah, you know, it doesn't have to be this church. It doesn't have to be Timberlake Church. You can pick a bad church, too. But, you know, whatever it is, uh, you, no, seriously, uh, we, I'm, I'm having fun with that. But, but if, if there's no perfect place, then your standards are probably higher than God's for other people. See, and often what will happen is, is if I come as a spectator or consumer, I tend to, well, one, I judge everyone and everything more harshly, and I don't grow. Hey, you remember uh, in classroom, it, like even kids, like sort of the bad kids in classroom, I know we're not supposed to say they're there are bad kids in school, but we all know who those kids were, right? And so, uh, w good teachers would, usually they'd do is they'd give them an assignment, right? Hey, you help me out. And about half the time, the kid would change because they would see themselves as an owner of the outcome, and you know who it would change? It wouldn't change the class. They would be changed most in the process. And so, could it be that principle that's used even in the secular world is maybe a spiritual principle, and that's why God calls us to be part of a family, because I engage in a different way and I become a different person when I say, you know what, I am part of the family. And I know you'd say, well, you know, hey, you wouldn't want me serving here at Timber. There's a place for everyone to be. You know, if you struggle with kleptomania, we're probably not going to have you count the offering. Just want to let you know that. Uh, but there's some place for you to serve. And in fact, I don't know if you're going to experience the spiritual growth you want without that. In fact, I'd say that you probably won't. Where you're like Jesus and you put someone else first. What does that look? That could be, you know, working in the food ministry. People always say, hey, that's great. We have all this wonderful food. Do you know that that does not just magically appear? That there are dozens of people every weekend who do it just to make it an atmosphere for people to feel comfortable and, and talk uh, with people. We're not, you know, we, we don't charge for it. It's just, just people just serve there. Or maybe uh, it could be working in the facilities team or the care team or the animal sacrifice team or whatever. <laughs> oh, you didn't know that team, did you? Uh, no, no I, I just want to see if you're awake or, or with... Uh, the kids' ministry, which is maybe like the animal sacrifice team, I'm not sure. But uh, seriously, there's something that happens in us when we act, when we not only think we're part of the family, when we start acting as part of the family. And I, I don't say that, uh, you know, I, I don't know what we're at, 800, 1,000 people who serve somewhere at the church. A lot of people serve. We can always use more people. I just know that you're not going to experience Christ in the way He wants you to until you do. So it's not, you know, oh gosh, you know, we're not going to have anyone to watch the four-year-olds if you don't step up. But you probably won't be the person that Je Jesus wants you to be unless He say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be part of the family, both receiving love and acceptance and, and also giving that's what a healthy family does. In a healthy family, what does it produce? Usually it produces healthy children. And so that's if they engage in the family. And then uh, let me power through these next few points. Uh, we need to think long term. Almost all bad decisions are made in the moment, about the moment, not about the future. 
It says, now if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. See that we will, we, we, we're thinking not just for this life, but even the next. And we also need to lean into God's resources. I believe in practical preaching for life change, that we talk about how we apply God's Word. But there are some resources where two and two is not going to equal four, where God needs to show up through the power of His Holy Spirit. That's why 20 times in Romans chapter 8, talks about how the Spirit of God accomplishes this. Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And he goes on to say, we don't even know what to pray for, but God prays on our behalf. He intercedes on our behalf. Would you be open to the miraculous in your life? I think one of the greatest miracles that happens, and I talked about this a while ago, is not when we change what we do, we change what we want to do because God has gotten a hold of our heart in a significant way. And in that, we need to own our decisions and God's decisions. What do I mean by that? We need to own, what is my decision? Jesus asked a guy who was paralyzed, he said, do you want to get well? Crazy question. Until you read that story in the Bible, the the guy didn't even answer the question. He made excuses why his life was the way it was. And I think Jesus would ask us the same question. And I don't know what it is. And maybe it's not a bad hat. Maybe it's just a profound sense of loneliness. And Jesus would ask you the question, do you want to get well? See, God will take... uh, Yes, our greatest successes, but often even our greatest failures, and He will do a miracle in that. We read Romans 8, 28, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and been called according to His purpose. See, part of this, though, is knowing the decision that God has already made. You ever think, well, what decisions has God made about me? The Apostle Paul says this. He says, uh, we... What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And the Bible lets us know, remember, that God is for us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You know, all things means it means all things. Doesn't necessarily always mean in this moment. It doesn't mean that's not going to be without some painful decisions and steps that you may have to take along the way as you follow God's leading in your life. But it means that, that we, we have a choice as we move forward. I talked to so many of you, and you feel like you're stuck, and, and I don't want to belittle that. You don't need to stay there. You really don't. Uh, we, we started a, a new campus this year. A church had sort of come to the end of its life cycle in Castle Rock. And uh, sort of a little town and amazing. We were given this church building. And so we started a campus out there. And just been amazing to see what God is doing. And I, so I, I want you to hear one of those stories. Who's someone who's sort of in a place like this. Uh, her name is Leah. And how she work through that with God's leading and didn't stop when everyone else honestly had sort of given up on her along the way. This is Leah's story. (laughs) 
My name's Leah. I grew up in the area. Um, I have a big family I'm in a non-Christian home. I got married very young. Um, my first boyfriend um, at 16, we got married at 20, had a baby at 20, had another baby at 21. Fast forward um, to um, my late 20s and my ex-husband and I sort of um, started growing apart. I turned to alcohol as a way to cope. I think eventually destroyed our marriage and there was other factors as well, but um, we divorced and I continued to use alcohol as a way to um, deal with my guilt and shame and pain of choices that I made and just the pain of the loss of my intact family. And that went on for probably about six years that I was sort of just spiraling out of control. And I um, sort of hit a big bottom um, in my alcohol use and it just continued to escalate and get out of control. Um, it led to um, losing custody of my two older daughters. Um, and that was sort of, that was a, my darkest time. But it was also a blessing because I <clears throat> was forced to ask for help. When I drove by this church, I looked out at the pasture and saw the cows and the white fence, and I thought, I should try that church out. So I went the following Sunday. I like Timberlake because it's very um, non-intimidating. It's very casual. I feel like I can be myself, and I'm welcome. I sort of surrendered, and not that I gave up, but I was ready to, to seek help. Um, and to make some different choices. And so I started coming just on Sundays to church and got a lot from the message. And when I was feeling, you know, the start cloud over my head or, you know, with court com coming up or having to deal with attorneys and all this stuff, I just felt so much comfort and peace um, kind of falling back on the scriptures and the messages. One of the amazing things that have happened recently is my daughters have come home. I'm noticing that I'm feeling less guilty and shameful of my past, and I'm feeling just a sense of peace. I feel like I'm happy again. Um, I feel that my relationship with, relationships with my daughters are improving. Jesus means everything to me today without him. I. I know what it's like to not have him, and I know where I've been without um, having him first in my life, and I don't like that person, and I don't like that life. Um, so Jesus to me today is everything. We start out with the scripture, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I don't know where uh, this message or the story finds you today, but that is uh, God's word to you, uh, if you'll receive it. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for uh, my friends who are here today, and God, I, I, I would pray particularly for my friends who uh, are, they can remember a time they've said yes to you. But God, it just seems that 
So many things have become so big and, and our relationship with you is not really where we, we wanted it to be at this point. And God, we've keep, kept ourselves distracted or made excuses. But God, at this point, we'd want to, to stop living there and start living with you. To come to you, Jesus. And if that's you, you'd say something like that. You pray silently. I'll pray out loud. You'd say, God, I, I'm, I want to come back home to you. I want you to restore to me the joy of my salvation. God, that I would have that heart for you like when I first believed. And God, that I would know that if you're for me, then who could be against me? And God, I believed in so many different things and I've lived according to those beliefs. And God, it hasn't led me to the life that you promised. And God, I want that in you. God, I want to honor you. God, I would even ask that you would open up my heart in such a way that I could be used by you, that there would be people who would feel love, accepted, and forgiven, that there would be eternities that would be changed. Because you've not only worked in my circumstances, God, you've worked beyond them. Lord, I, I, I pray that as I humble myself, that you will once again just draw me towards you. Or maybe you're here today and you say, Ben, I can never remember a time where I've invited Jesus into my life. And, and, and I'd encourage you, if that's you, that you would take that step today. That you would know there's there for no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that you would say something like this to God. God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus and I need what he's offered me. That clean slate, that forgiveness that was purchased through the cross. And God, I know, I know I've sinned and I, and I need your forgiveness, not only for the past and for the present, but I know I'll need it in the future. And it's not a thing I need, it's who I need, and it's Jesus Christ. And so I invite him to be the leader and Lord of my life. And I know it might get messy along the way, but wherever you would lead, God, I want to follow you. And the Bible says if we've said yes to Jesus, that we can be assured of his presence. That there's no way that you can behave your way out of the grace of God. That God has you. Lord, I pray for my friends who've taken that step and said yes, yes to you today. And God, I, I, I pray that you would walk with them, that you would give them an assurance of their faith. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would help us to remember, God, what you have done for us in our lives, in our families, in our church. And God, we can live with that confidence that defies circumstances because it's about what you've done more than what we do. Lord, I just pray that we would hear story after story, even from this weekend, where this was a, the, the point where it began, or it began again, where, free, where there was freedom that started to be received. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.